Hi everybody, I'm Todd Dills, and in the context of the conversation you'll hear in today's special edition of Overdrive Radio, conducted at the Great American Trucking Show in 2019, it's twofold, centered around both driver training and history. Longtime listeners may have heard before, this version part of Overdrive's ongoing exploration of trucking history on the occasion of our 60th anniversary this year. Over the course of the 20th century, as you'll hear, the licensing required for a driver to operate interstate tightened. In the early days of motorized transport, an 18-year-old had no problem being licensed for interstate operation of what passed for a big truck in that day. Those trucks weren't, of course, very big at all by today's standards. In the post that houses this podcast for July 27, 2021, I found a picture of Walter Thompson of Shelburne, Indiana, 1917, 18 years old and hauling in a truck that's really no taller than he is. Walter was the beloved grandfather of Jay Thompson, now an independent consultant to various trucking and natural gas interests through his Transportation Business Associates company. As I wrote at the time of the conversation's original airing two years ago, Thompson's been quite a resource for me when it comes to owner-operator and trucking history in general. He grew up in rural Indiana and started his working career driving big trucks, and it was a route taken by generations of men in his family as well, all the way back to his grandfather Walter. Walter Thompson had a chauffeur's license enabling him to move freight as early as age 18 in 1917. Given debate that continues around training and potentially opening up interstate operations, perhaps in a limited fashion, some drivers under uh, 21, Thompson's thoughts do more than just give us a window on trucking's history through the lens of one family's experience. We were also talking at the time about the potential for a pilot program for under 21 CDL drivers then under intense debate as we sat down to ferret out a little bit of the history there. And as Thompson says, history often repeats itself in various ways. Before I hand it over to him, here's a message from Overdrive Radio's sponsor. FirstGuard provides commercial truck insurance to leased owner-operators done right. As we've done for more than 80 years, we provide physical damage and non-trucking. Many companies make you pay up to six months of insurance premiums up front, but not FirstGuard. We bill monthly, so you get quality insurance without needing to pay a lot of cash up front. Go to FirstGuard.com. That's 1-S-T-Guard.com. FirstGuard. We speak trucker. Let's talk spirit with you in one sense is that you like you like digging up the past always repeats in different ways and so that's a lot of the positive stuff right right anyway introduce yourself for us Jay and tell us to give us a quick uh, the quick uh, quick and dirty of you know who you are and what you do okay uh, Jay Thompson Um, I'm one of the people in the industry that's been around forever and uh, since the well, since the 70s, in, in one sense, of so 40 plus years, 40, 41 if you count one from college on, but uh, uh, operated a lot of farm equipment as a kid. Uh, then during college, drove trucks, uh, big trucks. And so that that's um, one of the ways that I helped pay my way through college. Ended up out of there, was with Cummins Diesel Maker, 13 years. Ended up over sales service and field engineering for the western U.S. and uh, in 1990 started our company that um, called Transportation Business Associates. It's Yasuo Group doing businesses. Transportation Business Associates been in the, uh, I call it um, business to reality, trucking to reality. 
um, side of it for since 1990 and owned several trucking companies. We were doing stuff out of bankruptcy, got into a bunch of profitability work, and then started working with a number of investors where some of those have owned trucking uh, interests. And that swerved back into my true schooling, which was natural gas in, in transportation. And then... And, and you grew up in Indiana, right? Yep, south of south, uh, southern Indiana, down by Terre Haute, Indiana, which was coal mining and um, farming were the were the vices of the day down there. And uh, and uh, of course, there were a lot of uh, trucking related stuff around that. So uh, one of the companies that I worked with was dump trucks, and so you did coal and in construction work. There was a big company in Terre Haute, Indiana. And then another summer, I drove a log truck. So can you imagine a young kid driving a log truck? And that actually was uh, interstate uh, because back then you could, uh, if you uh, if it was a private company hauling your own products, which would which logging was, uh, they were they were uh, doing mining or they were doing uh, logging in Illinois and and uh, hauling it to sawmills in Indiana. And so I was truck driver doing that one summer. Right, and you were, and this was, you were not 21 at this point, you were, I mean, this was eight, you were how old, 18? 18 and 19, yeah. so, yep, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, you know, when you, when you think about your history there, and then uh, we'll get to the history of your grandfather as well, um, you know, what, uh, when you, and you see this debate currently ongoing about whether we need a, you know, a, a pilot program to potentially expand some of the options for 18 to 20 year old people who want to have a CDL uh, and operate interstate. Um, uh, just, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on that debate now, given, you know, the, the history that, that you have and that you know about uh, in trucking? Yeah, it, it, in one sense it's scary um, because when I think of some of uh, our younger relatives and stuff and you think of uh, me being behind the wheel of a big truck, I'm sure it was scary for some people back then too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but, for, um, it, but there are a bunch of good young people who are capable and have got the mental capacity and the passion to do it. And, and and I think that's part of what we all grew up with back in that, at least that neck of the woods, was that you know that was an honorable uh, thing to do. And you know one of the other things that to think about today is just how do we asking the question, how do we get good young people interested in in our industry? And part of that is <laughs> grab them at a young age. And there are a bunch of young motorheads around, and. Um, you know, between, I keep thinking about, at least from my experience, it was a lot of farm kids, as well as, you know, I mean, we end up thinking about the military. Um, again, you know, uh, got a lot of good young people who are responsible and are passionate about it and, you know, that have that desire to to um, not only be, you know, to, to work in the logistics world, but also to see the world, or see, see the states from that regard. Tell me, you sent me this great picture of your, uh, uh, of your grandfather, Walter is his name, right? So Walter, Walter Thompson, um, the, the picture that I've seen is one that's on a CDL of his, and I believe this was the year he turned 21, but 
but he was out there or not it's not a cdl it's a chauffeur's license for those days um but he he had uh he had his chauffeur's license well before he was 21 and he was uh driving one of the early trucks of the day give us a give us a little history about uh, walter yeah walter it's it, 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 it's it's crazy whenever I think about it that my grandfather was born in 1899, but he was a mentor. He was an entrepreneur of his day. He was he was involved in was this one of the first Standard Oil guys in 1924. Wow. After, after that, but it, but uh, he came from a farm family. Uh, again, our our whole family came from the farm. It was even a, a crazier story. His his father, so my great grandfather. Uh, fought in the Civil War, okay. and he went and fought for another man. So you could you could do your time and then fight for somebody else and get paid. Okay. And he used that money to buy the farm. Okay. So that was the genesis of the farm. And so, but he was the youngest of a big brood of kids, and so they all kind of did different things. And he ended up uh, youngest as a twin, as as an entrepreneur of his day. And um, he would do anything for work. And of course. Um, that's how he then, when he tells the story, he was telling the story. He was ended up being one of my mentors, and uh, he would tell the stories about how um, you know he would do anything for work and stuff, and was talking about, well, I was a truck driver, and okay. you know, and that's how he talked about it, and 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 then we, and then what got more interesting to me is uh, going back to the freight side of things. He would talk about how the freight worked in those days, and so it was again most of the freight was dropped at rail uh, stations and then they distributed either out to the, the general store like the truck picture you saw of him in front of the distribution model uh, jay thompson likens to uh, at its essence what amazon is doing today and so they, they, it's a model that we would kind of think about today when we think about how, okay we're back to that again you know yeah. uh, again a, a whole different model from that regard but local delivery out to stuff and so he he ended up doing that for um, um, a number of years as a young guy, just hustling it up. And then, um, and that's whenever he then got into the, um, uh, he had the opportunity for Standard Oil um, okay. in, in 1924. As, and, um, and so um, that, it, was an, it was an interesting set of stories. And, and uh, what also got interesting is that some of his contemporaries there in the little town we grew up in, um, again, talked about trucking from early days, and and because uh, a lot of my interests got around, because I've always been involved in refrigerated uh, food, I've always had a bias towards that. But he, um, th- this one of the other guys, uh, one of his other good uh, friends, used to was one of the early produce haulers. Was one of the first early um, what we would call, you know. Um, owner operators of his day and mm-hmm. so they were hauling produce out of Florida and stuff back to Indiana in these straight trucks that were gasoline powered and you know and the stories were crazy on how they would run the hills and right. stuff but um, the, the funniest part was one of his stories was uh, this hauling uh, tr- you know trying to do a backhaul in early days and he thought well what do we have a lot here that maybe somebody could use in the south and he really didn't know it and what it could be but it ended up being coal Okay. So he was loading coal on his truck going south, but then come to find out people really didn't want or need coal in the south. And so he was getting desperate as he got down there. And make a long story short, he um, ended up selling to some guy who made coke for, you know, for other uses for, for coal at, at, the, at the time down there. And so it was, it was interesting to see how they ended up doing the back and forth from that regard. Right. Yeah, and I mean, these these men are are you know 
I just I just think back of the owner operators of those days, and these are these are largely young men too, right? Like this this is kind of guys uh, going out and buying buying equipment, uh, you know, just as they're getting out there and starting to work is and owning the freight. And so yeah. they also, uh, yeah. th- which is which was different than today, of course, is and uh, you know hardly anything was brokered. When they hauled a load of produce, they bought it, yeah. delivered it, and then try and, and so they were doing the whole uh, you know the, the whole logistics management part of it. So yeah, right. it's, yeah, and and entrepreneurial and doing it, and and again no you know few um, regulatory things thrown in as well as licensing and the rest right, right. so yeah you, you start you start thinking about what we had to used to do to to get licensing there too and because i remember i asked my grandfather i said so what do you have to do to go get a license to get a chauffeur's license because i was going to get one when i was 18 and he said um he says well shoot you just went down and applied for it he says it was nothing nothing no testing or anything and that kind of was taking me back to my, uh, the first time I got a chauffeur's license at 18. And that was the same thing. You you got the trucking company to sign off a piece of paper. And you took it down to the driver's, um, down to the license branch. And they gave you, <laughs> they gave you a chauffeur's license. Okay. A lot more, a lot simpler than what we go through today, right? Yes, yeah. So I had kept my chauffeurs, um, actually, uh, even at my time at Cummins, where... Um, I, uh, we were running a bunch of test trucks up in the mountains in Colorado, and so I'd, I would I would love to sneak out in them and, and do some of the tests just because I enjoyed it so much. And um, I let it go. I let the license go. And then when I started owning trucks, um, I got it back again, but I had to do the CDL. And um, so I got all all the endorsements at the time. And um, it was it was it didn't the, probably some of the funniest stories that came out of that is that whenever I would see one of our other drivers and I'd be out driving one of our trucks, they would it would kind of freak them out a little bit. But there are a lot of really good trucking companies today who have their management um, either get or have had CDLs, and um, you know that that does a whole lot to help bridge that gap between. Um, Owners, you know, owners and management and and the uh, people out on the road. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so, and I've seen some seen some examples of that uh, somewhat recently. And, and you know, and with most small trucking companies, of course, uh, or with a lot of small trucking companies, uh, they they they're springing from uh, owners that you know started as owner operators in many cases, or uh, drove in the past. You know, so but, but what kind of restrictions? You know, do you think are needed for, uh, if if any, for uh, drivers under 21 in in such a, a pilot program for this, or uh, or um, or if we were to open it up more broadly, like what what kind of restrictions might be appropriate? I guess. Yeah, I th- I would say that um, you know a couple different things. Um, you know, one of them that, that becomes top of mind are really leveraging a lot of the technologies that we have today. I mean, it's a double-edged sword because so many people end up um, with uh, becoming too dependent on on um, um, the technology. I mean, I, you know, I think you've had some analogies in the past on airplanes, so I'm an airplane guy too. Okay. And, you know, I, I follow that stuff with a lot of interest. Right. And uh, because, of course... Um, you know the majority of regulations come after accidents and stuff, and so then the the question becomes what 
what can you use with the technology? That's a lot of the drove kind of stuff that we're looking at there too. Okay. It says, how do you tie, uh, you know, what results you want to the right technology without really um, screwing up the the capabilities of the individual? I mean, because you don't want to become too dependent upon uh, technology to where you know the, you don't end up using common sense in in uh, day-to-day operations and stuff. And I think that's probably, when I listen to the, the DOT and FMCSA kind of questions and stuff, it seems like it's like they're struggling with that to say, oh, you know, when, when you think of the ultimate uh, um, option that's going to be in the marketplace with autonomous vehicles, right. and yes, there's some right places for that to work. And so I, I kind of follow that same logic that says, okay, what... What can we do to make a pilot that that um, um, you know helps manage those risks, if you will, and, and of course then tying in the insurance industry because they're going to be a huge player in it too. Am I going to underwrite these people? And so um, you know what, what 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 I've ended up thinking about anyway from a standpoint of making it work is what are you wanting to get done to minimize. Um, um, risk from that regard and you think of some of the big folks that have you know the big yards with um you know with with a lot of equipment even in the yard you you know one thing is to say you know put them right into the in the belly of the beast to say okay start off you know driving a uh a load a uh, hostler around the yard because you know of course the biggest issue always is how do you manage um, you know how do you manage backing and stuff because when you, you you just start going down the list and say okay what's the biggest you know what's the biggest accident issue or what's the biggest risk issue and it's rear ends okay but that's a that's on the, a lot on the road kind of stuff but what's number two you know number two is backing number three yeah. yeah number three is side swiping and so okay you can when, when I start thinking about a program like that, you say, okay, we can start doing some of this stuff in people's yards um, that, that you know, would help ferret out some of that stuff. And that, of course, is the toughest, you know, in my estimation, besides the lifestyle and there's, there's vehicle operation issues, there's the home kind of people issues that say you got to get the right kind of people to you know to be uh, you know be in the industry and of course then the money's got to be there too but from an operational standpoint to me that's part of it is to get and, and I think that's that's what from a you know from a regs standpoint or from a um, you know prep standpoint a lot of people I think are looking mostly around the um, the vehicle operational kind of thing and that's one way to ferret that out and then along with that from a from that standpoint is to do almost like what you can do today with intrastate you know 18 year olds can can do it today there too but um, you know just because the way so much freight moves there's got to be a you know way just to emulate that Uh, again kind of in a setting that's that's more controlled to say you know out back you don't want to put somebody just at all over the road right off the bat because then they're dealing not only with the vehicle operation stuff but also the home life stuff you know do they even have a uh, you know that ability to to live in that in, in, in lifestyle yeah it's kind of it's kind of like where where are the rules to just change overnight um it feels to me a little bit like um not a, not a lot would change very fast and 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 the way that 
companies now ease people into over-the-road operations. Uh, you know, like you said, beginning. I mean, what you described there is a, a familiar process, right? Like uh, beginning on site in the yard, um, even as a mechanic. You know, in high school, a lot of you see a lot of small fleets hiring their hiring their uh, nephews and yep. and what have you uh, to work in the shop and. And then they get into the truck and at 18 and haul a little intrastate if the um, if the go deliver something or if they're move, move it around the yard. You know, yeah. a mechanic will move the vehicle in and out. It'll hook them up. They'll uh, like one of the things those dump truck people that I work for. They did call, and um, I mean, I would do anything. I mean, you name it, I would try it. And uh, I mean, made some pretty good mistakes, and that's where the that's where the best lessons come from. Like, right, that's where the learning comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, I guess the the thing you want to guard against with with regulation on this is uh, these people being taken advantage of and put into situations where they're sort of set up to fail, you know, or or, or you know, getting themselves into situations where they're right. set up to fail that they're unprepared for, right? Yeah, true. And I, and again, that's where I think. I mean, the, the big difference today, of course. I mean, when I think of the trucks that we drove, that I drove to start off with. I mean, they're triplex, and I'm thinking. I mean, of course, I really screwed up with that thing, uh, <laughs> learning it. And, and I remember the guy riding with me whenever he was teaching me how to do it. This guy had the patience of Job because, <laughs> I mean, I remember stopped in the middle of a bunch of traffic and yeah. had stopped a whole bunch of traffic just because I went around a corner and I couldn't. <laughs> couldn't get it in a gear and uh and i can remember sweating and, and just going of course we didn't have air conditioning or anything in the trucks but um you know again you, you start thinking about the trucks of today with auto shift and and then probably more so the technologies that you can put around it that not only you can have somebody there's as a coach in the in the vehicle with them for a while or whatever the time is but but as much or more so you know, you could easily just say, um, with all these analytics and stuff, both in the cab, uh, you know, looking at how the person is reacting or doing or not doing to help um, garner information on, you know, what functionally we need to do from an industry standpoint. But again, when I start thinking then about, you know, technology that we put on the truck and the trailer and the load and stuff, you're getting like G-forces or any of that kind of stuff you can start really seeing not only you know how they're operating how they're braking how they're um you know how they're looking around the vehicle and stuff um to me that ends up being a, a coaching um uh, opportunity that we haven't had in the past you what, what was the town did you say the name of the town in indiana where you grew up yeah it's a spot on the map Oh, okay. It used to be a truck stop there, though, so a lot of old, okay, older yeah. trucker people to know. But it's a town called Shelburne, Indiana. Shelburne, okay. Shelburne. So it's south of Terre Haute, Indiana. It's US 41. So a lot of there's been some songs written in the past about US 41. It was the main artery between Chicago and uh, Florida, and so a lot of commerce went up and down that road. And so uh, that was before, like interstate. The inter- it was, uh, you know, uh, way be- uh, before the interstate highway system. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, still, it's it's a fairly heavy, heavily traveled corridor. And um, yeah, the town. You, you hear those stories about towns dying, little towns dying. Well, this town died. Uh, but it, yeah, I don't know that there's any businesses within the within the city limits anymore. It's a town of a thousand people, and um, well, that included all the um, 
Oh, yeah, farming in adjacent areas and stuff. It was a great place to grow up. I mean, it was it was in one sense rough and tumble because it was coal mining, but um, but then a lot of terrific families and, and and stuff from there. So nothing but fond uh, fond memories of it. Big thanks to Jay Thompson for the memories, and to you for hanging in. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American trucker. It's produced by myself, Todd Dills, with no small amount of support from Overdrive Extra Contributor and Muller Trucking Hauler, Paul Marhofer, Overdrive News Editor, Matt Cole, Social Media Coordinator, Holly Young, and Executive Editor, Alex Lockie. Till next time, keep it pro.